Welcome to the Butter Chicken Podcast, hosted by DJ Sharad and DJ Juicy. Ooh. We focus on the stories of individuals who are making great impact in society and culture. The Butter Chicken Experience is well-cooked, thought-provoking conversation. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the vibes. You got the culture? Yes, 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 party people, New York City and worldwide. It's your boy, DJ Sherrod. And DJ Juicy, baby. What's good, my friend, Juicy? How are we doing, sir? I am doing, you know, I wasn't doing so good today. Okay. And then I saw you here. (laughs) I feel phenomenal again. Wonderful, man. That makes me feel special. Thank you. And what's crazy is I saw you in the office. Yeah. And I wasn't happy. (laughs) Why is that? See you in the office. It's just it's a different vibe. Energy is just sometimes so negative. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I think that when uh, when there's a lot of things going on and everyone's running 100 miles an hour, you can't help but just kind of stay hyper focused on whatever's in your mind at that moment. So the energy, I wouldn't say is negative for me per se, but it's definitely hostile, if you will. I, I wouldn't take it there. Maybe for you, not for me. I mean, I just feel like this, you know. But anyway, when I get out of the office and we come to the Butter Chicken Studio. I feel refreshed. I ate a wrap today. Ooh. Uh, I ate some fruit. Very limited on the carbs. Limited on the, you know, white sugar. I'm good. That's feel, good, yeah. I, I know you've been on this wave recently. You dropped a couple of pounds. I did. Proud of you. Thank you, sir. I got to get Trying on to get you on that wave. Yeah, yeah. I got to get there, man. You'll get on there. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I guess I prioritize things differently. Like, when I'm, like, just inundated with work, like, nothing else matters for, for whatever reason. And I know it's not the yeah, right mentality switch that to up. have. We got to switch that up. And and the key is switching up, right? Absolutely. You got to switch up. You got to use certain things to pivot into other things. Right. And for our listeners just tuning in, that's what Butter Chicken is. For those of you who are tuning into our show for the first time, Butter Chicken Podcast is a podcast to really tell the stories of individuals making impact in culture and society. So if you're brand new to the Butter Chicken experience, we humbly welcome you. Thank you for tuning in. And for our fans, the people, our supporters, the people that just are rock with us, you already know what we do. It's the DJ USA boys turned into the Butter Chicken boys, just having some fun. It's what we do. Buttery, casual conversation. Love it, man. So it was good, man. What are we talking about today? So I I was actually uh, speaking of of working in a chaotic environment and things like that. I think sometimes people um, don't take the time to kind of reflect and take certain lessons away from their days and experiences that they've gone through and things like that. And I think that the experiences that we go through in our lives really mold us into the human beings that we ultimately become. And as of late, I've been finding myself kind of like reflecting on certain things that I've gone through in my life, whether it's, you know, small and and just something just that open up my eyes or something that's really impactful. Right. Um, And I was thinking, I'm like, you know, I think I think we should probably share one of those experiences, and I would like to share one, and I want to ask you about an experience. And, and particularly, have you ever been in a scenario while you were working where you've faced adversity or a hurdle? That's something that just you weren't expecting came along the way. Um, and what, so I want to know what that was, one, like give me an example experience, and tell me how you overcame that experience. And... Was there anything that you were able to take away from that? That's too deep for me, man. No, <laughs> we got to do it, man. I experience <laughs> hurdles and adversity every single day. But one particular, su- there's got to be a scenario that comes in your mind, like, like 
surface right away. No, nothing. Yeah, actually, one that really, really comes to mind. In 2006, I threw the first um, South Asian urban music conference in this part of the world. Okay. I I put I was young, so 12 years ago. Do the math. That's a long time ago. I put eighty thousand dollars, which was it's a lot of money even today. But imagine eighty thousand dollars 12 years ago. It's Huge. a lot of money. Yeah. I put a lot of money into this conference because I had this vision of the South Asian urban scene being this really big, massive thing. And that those eight days, we didn't check metrics and stats and stuff like that. We just said, yo, we're hot. We know a lot of people. Let's put this conference together. Thousands of people are going to come to Puerto Rico because we brought Jay Sean there. We brought RDB there. Uh, we brought a bunch of artists at the time that were very relevant and hot. Every hot DJ in the entire scene, we brought them there. And... Uh, almost like every penny I put into this situation was lost because I just had all these unforeseen expenses. So I literally lost 80 grand in like the span of like 30 days and it just went away. And walking into it, I was like real depressed. It was a messed up situation, but I had ticket. I had people that bought tickets that were coming from the experience, real fans and supporters of ours. I had all the artists booked. I had staging i had concert venues i had all this stuff lined up in puerto rico which is a land far away mm -hmm. and we had to come through and do the event ended up doing the event was it the best turnout for me or was it the the way i envisioned it prior no but we got through it i delivered an experience that was impeccable for the guests and everyone left it saying it was whoever came through i mean you actually came through yeah, you dj yeah. it it was incredible and an amazing experience and what i got from that is like every time you lose don't necessarily look at it as a loss. Look at it as a learning. Look at it as a learning experience. And in some capacity, you got to sort of start of start looking at your losses as wins. And if you can start doing that and analyzing the fact that all right, I didn't get the best result out of this, but I did it. I put my best effort forward. I went hard at it. I tried my best. I utilized every resource I could. I did what I had to do. If I didn't get those results, that doesn't mean we stop. We continue to go and we continue to kind of just have forward motion in life. And that kind of, that really worked as a catalyst in my career because I was like, I will never lose again. I will make more thought out, more smarter decisions. Did you have that realization like going into the project, meaning like once you found out your ticket sales weren't so hot or was it something that came to you afterwards? I think it was in the in the moment. It was just like it it was going on, but afterwards, is like you said right. earlier, when you have time to reflect and sit back, like what we did for the time is what people can't even put together now, or it's so difficult, or it takes all this internet promotion, all this marketing dollar, and all this stuff to do to to do that now. Mm -hmm. We did it, and I did it independently, me and my partner, and that was it. And right. it, was, it was it was good for the time, and again, it, it taught valuable lessons on what to do in such situations and what not to do, and how to not overexpose yourself and how to just keep hustling and get through things. And the biggest thing is, is if you promise something, you got to deliver it. If you say it beyond contracts, beyond paperwork, if you say you're going to do something, you have to deliver it. If you don't, you're whack. Facts. Big facts. Big facts. Yeah. Yeah, no, you got to find um, anything good that w in something bad, right? Butter chicken listeners, if I tell you we're going to be here for you every week and we miss a week... That's a problem. I'm a person of my word. So on air, I'm telling you, we will be here every week as long as we can. Awesome. See how I did that? That was the disclaimer. As long as we can. <laughs> <laughs> We're here, though. Right now, we're having some fun. Butter Chicken Podcast. Awesome, man. 
Uh, thank you for sharing that story. I think it's important just to kind of re reiterate the fact that um, to all our young listeners, you know, just keep on trying. Don't take those losses. Uh, take them with a grain of salt, rather, and just move forward and, and just try to take uh, the good out of it and, and position it and pivot it into something great, right? So uh, thank you for sharing that story, Sharad. Yes, sir. Um, any specific childhood memories that they, that you have like from any specific town in Long Island where you grew up that like is special to you so my question actually is is let me let me restate that name a specific place mm -hmm. where you grew up that mm -hmm. has a special place in your heart name a special place that has a special place in my heart yes like a town like a, a town. specific specific town? town I would say Queens but Queens is kind of broad. Okay. Give me more specific. Floral Park. Floral Park. Floral okay. Park, New York. And tell me wh what's so special about this place. Floral Park is a special place because when we started our business, actually even prior to that, back in like the 90s, Floral Park was a hub of a lot of South Asians. Mm -hmm. And I was born in Queens and then my parents quickly shifted us to Long Island because mm -hmm. Long Island was a little more affluent and it was a better place to be raised. So I had the fortunate experience of being born in Queens, going back there all the time. But I was... I had a, I was raised with a suburban education. I was raised in, in a town called East Meadow. And I have an affinity to East Meadow. I love East Meadow. But some things didn't resonate with me over there. Like, I wasn't able... I didn't necessarily fit in. Whereas all my friends in high school lived in a town called Floral Park. And in the town of Floral Park, it was heavily influenced by South Asians of all backgrounds. We had Pakistanis. We had... Um, Punjabis, we had Gujaratis there, and I was exposed to a lot of South Indian people who I didn't even know existed. I didn't even know of their existence, and a lot of them had non-Indian names, mm. and I was fascinated by these people because mm -hmm. they were Christian, they went to church, and they had names like Roy and Thomas and Jacob and James, and I was like, what is going on here? And then I went back to my dad, and I said, Dad, I go to Floral Park, and I meet all these people and they have American names. Are, are their parents white or something? Like, what's the deal? And my dad was like, no, those people are from a place in India called Kerala, which we've never really talked about because we don't know anyone from there. Like, my parents, you know, within our own ethnic communities, mm -hmm. like, a lot of Sindhis hang out with Sindhis and maybe, like, some people from neighboring states, but they don't really have Malayali friends from the state of Kerala. So my dad schooled me to what Malayali people were. And I was shocked, and Floral Park was flooded with Malayalis. And from there, I just started building and having a lot of friends within that, that group of people, and they adopted me really easily for whatever reason. I don't know what it was. Uh, I think, you know, I was friends with Red, Jason Matthew, mm -hmm. and Jason just introduced me to everyone, and he kind of co-signed me because he was already popular in that, in that world, in the Malayali community, and he would just bring me around. So people just assumed I was Malayali, believe it or not. They assumed you were Malayali. A lot of people assumed I was Malayali. Just absolutely. by looking at you, not Just asking. by being, because I was always around Malayalis more than anybody, and I was friends with them, and they rock with me heavy. Malayalis rock with me to this day. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I know a lot of your Malayali friends. And it's crazy. Like, that community has supported my DJ stuff, what we've done. That's then translated to support our entire business and all the all the gigs we get now. It's like so many come from that community, and it's a loyal group of people. So it seems like Floral Park is uh, extra special to you because it, it exposed you to yes. a lot of Yes, and then when we opened up our first office, we happened to open in Floral Park, and then it just it became full circle again. So we started going to Floral Park in the 90s. 
by mid 2000 2003 we opened our first office in Flora Park and again our avid supporters were the Malayali community in fact speaking today, of full circle <laughs> today at butter chicken it's a very special episode tell me why Sherrod. why is it special i'll tell you why well lately we've been one interviewing a lot of women who are doing really really cool stuff right like when we first started in season 1 there was a lot of musical guests it, I wouldn't say it was male-driven, but there was definitely a large concentration of men that we were interviewing. Mm -hmm. And then as we've gotten into it, it's sort of evened out. And we, what we've noticed is there's a lot of females that are doing amazing stuff within our community. And it's been interesting telling their stories. So to break it down, we have a female in the audience. I mean, <laughs> we have a female guest today. Mm -hmm. And our female guest also happens to be Malayali. And I believe it's our first Malayali guest. Wow, that's big. I don't think we've had a Malayali we guest. Right. We haven't. If we go back into the lineage of buttered chicken, <laughs> all our episodes backdated, there's not been one single Malayali guest. And like 50 of my Malayali friends emailed me and were like, yo, what's up? <laughs> when are you getting Rena Nining on the show? <laughs> She's got a blue check. <laughs> we need her here. No, that's awesome. I think we're uh, we're very excited to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Rena Ninen, amazing. Thank you guys. Wow, the pressure's on, huh, to represent. No pressure. We have a lot of pressure. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Can I say this is just such a fun moment to be here with you and to hear you guys going back and forth. I'm so excited for this podcast. Thank Good. So we're much. excited to have you. Yeah. We're excited, a little nervous, actually. No, come on. 100%. No, I was why? nervous why when we... Nervous? when I. You're so good at this. Uh, I mean, look, you're a professional. We're... No, I just play one on TV. You play a professional on TV. Enough. That's interesting. I play a professional DJ in front of the turntables. <laughs> That's talent. I couldn't do that. We actually had another guest on here. Uh, she's a writer. Mm. Her name is Rocky Merchandani. Mm. Um, and I told her, me and Juicy are now journalists. And she was like, oh, well, I have an iPod, so I guess I'm a DJ. <laughs> so I want to ask you, especially because you're blue-checked, which is interesting. You do this full time you interview people all the time this is what you do for a living yeah. now we're sitting here and interviewing you would you consider us journalists you are in search of the truth someone's truth so everybody can be a journalist on some level right especially in this because what you're doing is trying to find out get to the bottom of something right and and i feel like there are so many platforms now where people can um experience sort of what journalists do by getting to you know figure out what's going on in a person's life with an issue with the community so yeah so we're journalists i'll take that uh, yeah why not <laughs> good so tell us a little bit about where you're from tell our listeners where you're yeah. from some of our listeners might not know you after this episode we want them to know you thoroughly and we want them to look you up and kind of engage more with you but where are you from both from a cultural perspective and also where you're from here in, in America? So I grew up in Tampa, Florida. Um, and as you mentioned, my, my family, we're Malayali. Um, my mom has seven brothers and sisters who live within like a five mile radius in, in Tampa. So childhood was incredible with all these cousins and um, a really strong Malayali community. I mean, we um, had this big festival in the Kerala community called Onam, which is like every sort of September. It's like a harvest festival where you eat off this banana leaf and mm. you have little vegetarian curries. And um, it was sort of the one time of year where all the Malayalis in the area would get together. But there were only like 
there were enough Malayalis to where one little corny wear a sambar was enough to like <laughs> practically feed the whole community, right? Okay, so it was fairly small. It, fairly small because this is Tampa. It's not New York, right? right. But it has grown oh, immensely. I mean, these events now are catered by multiple Indian restaurants and um, their churches. You know, you, you many people are, are Christian in, in Kerala. There's Hindus and there's Muslims as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Christian community is just incredible as well as we've got a Hindu temple now in Tampa and um, it's just remarkable to see how it's grown. Interesting. And now you're in New York. Now I'm in New York. So did you just go from Tampa to New York? or I went to school at GW, George Kay. Washington, which is, you know, to your point earlier on about, you know, being exposed to other Indian communities. It wasn't until I went to GW at DC that, you know, there's the Indian Students Association, the South Asian Students Association, and you really got exposed to... What is Garba, you know, <laughs> Gujarati community mm. and um, Bangra blowout sure. with the Punjabi community. And I think it was really a, a fantastic opportunity to learn about other cultures. And I, I also feel like once you get to college, w- whether you're Jewish or Muslim or whatever, um, you get into these groups and you really get to explore your identity in a way that is different from your parents. And you form this community and those friends are friends for life totally friends for life um and you still check in with them and um i'm just grateful for that time did you find that like you had a because you weren't i didn't have this exposure in in the community in tampa that you had like an affinity to the south asians that were around you like yeah you know my parents they were just remarkable about this growing up like they were so strong in their community and their indian ties but my dad would always say especially to my brother you know don't you have non-Indian friends? Because my brother went to the University of South Florida in Tampa where there was a huge Indian community. Mm-hmm. And you know that and it happens to a lot of people. You go to college, you find this Indian community, and you don't leave. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so tight. Um, but my father always made the point that, like, you can't just be in your community. Like, he was so proud. But he also made a point that, you like, this is America. You know, you've got to learn to roll with a bunch of different ethnicities and, and experience what they have to offer because that's a huge part of this country. And he was a big believer in that. And I think that shaped a lot of, um, you know, interaction with people and being open to different friends. See, I think that's very like progressive and forward thinking. Whereas I my, love it. My parents were very much like, okay, make the friends that you want, but yeah. ultimately, I wanna, we wanna meet their parents and we wanna get to know them yeah. and be involved in your friendship. And then, you know, in my mind, for me, it was more like, okay, well, if I make South Asian friends, then you guys will be able to relate better. There might be a, a language barrier, communication, whatever. The, I, I just kind of had some hesitation at that point. But mm-hmm. um, now, of course, you know, m- living here for my parents have been here for o- over almost 40 years now. Mm. Um, their mindset has changed and shifted as they've seen us grow and, and p- different people come in. But I, I guess, um, you know, just just to touch on that a little bit, like that's very forward and progressive. And it's so interesting you say that. I've never thought of my par- parents as progressive, but you're right. Yeah. They really were and um i don't think they realized it but they were very open-minded even about my career when i told them i wanted to go into journalism they were a thousand percent supportive of it never once questioned it or said don't go into it they were news junkies themselves so they did everything to encourage it and plus they realized like i was so bad at math and science. <laughs> <laughs> like this girl needs to eat her family her kids need to eat wait one you're day. indian and you're bad at math and science <laughs> well, you ain't indian <laughs> I was the kid out the first round of the spelling bee. Do you know how that feels? Oh, man. <laughs> like the first round? Have you watched these spelling bees? Yes. Now on ESPN? Yes. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's always like Indians in the top five. But I sometimes 
it's, little, yeah, it's like a little too much pressure, right? Like these kids are memorizing the dictionary or something. I hope yeah. Sean's in a spelling bee. You were in a spelling bee? I hope Sean's in a spelling Sean's bee. Sean's I'll, I'll, I'll get oh. Sean in a spelling bee. <laughs> I bet he'd do well. You gotta start now though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're gonna start. We're gonna start doing spelling. Memorizing the dictionary. That's what we're gonna do tonight. We're gonna <laughs> read the dictionary. Please don't. So so you talked on journalism. Yeah. Is that what you majored in in school? So I did at George Washington, they had a special program, which they still have, it's tremendous, it's called political communication. So it's like a mix of politics, public policy, international affairs, I, I can't recommend it enough. I, I'm actually very active with the School of Media and Public Affairs at GW, and I think that was really great training. And when I was in college, it was the Monica Lewinsky scandal with Bill Clinton. Mm. Mm. And you just dated yourself. I just dated myself, <laughs> <laughs> proudly, proudly. Um, it's okay. Uh, yeah, so, I, you know, you learn so much from these experiences and um, living through that, and, and I think being in D.C. was really remarkable. Is that what kind of led you into following a lot of government stories or getting into yeah. wanting to kind of cover these sort of situations? You know, it was actually my dad who... I loved politics, and he said, look, if you want to be a political reporter and cover politics, you can't be do that from Tampa. You need to go to Washington, D.C. So he went to these um, college fairs with me when I was in high school and looked at all the brochures and said, you know, this school is really good. You should go, which, to your point about them being progressive, I think, like, what Malayali dad tells her daughter, go out of state and go to college, yeah, you know, especially you know, during that time, of 20 course. years ago, right? Yeah, totally. But he was like, this is where you need to be. And so I think that kind of set the tone for going to D.C. and then really being interested in politics. And eventually you finish school and your career starts. Yes. So I finished school, my career starts, and I could not get a job. Like, here I am, got these incredible internships, actually paid jobs, thinking I was set, you know, I'd made all these contacts, and then it's the worst economy you could ever imagine. This is... What year are we talking? 2001. When you finished school? When I finished school. Okay. So, for the first time in my life, I take the summer off, go back home, just chill out. Tampa. Yeah, go back to Tampa, I enjoyed my summer, but then I'm getting itchy, and I want to come back, and I've been trying for this job, and I call this guy, call him from different phone numbers to get him to pick <laughs> up. I mean, I had all these schemes to get him, and he's like, no, I'm not hiring right now. I'm not hiring. Try <laughs> me back into, you know. So um, I go back, and I temp as a secretary. Um, you in know, $10, $8 an hour. Where? In Washington, D.C. Okay. And I start, it's like end of August, do it for a week, another week in September, and then it's it, this place is like 1500 Pennsylvania. It's a block from the White House. September 11th happens. Oof. I am a secretary, half a block from the White House, and all of a sudden we hear about, you know, planes possibly going into the Pentagon at that point. Yep. And the moms who were other secretaries freak out and leave. And I'm like, what are they so worried about? We're in the safest place you could imagine. We're half a block from the White House. Wasn't a mom, wasn't thinking of what they were thinking, which is what, you know, when you're a parent, you look at things differently and like you just want to get to your kid and you realize the magnitude of it. Secret Service comes in and comes into our law firm and says, you've got to leave immediately. There's a plane heading towards the White House and we're evacuating this area. So then I think, get out, take out my Sony Walkman, 
and start listening to the radio to figure out what's going on. And here we are around this yellow Sony Walkman. I'm telling people what I'm hearing. And I'm like, there's a plane headed towards the White House. Like, we, we should, and the Secret Service is evacuating us and telling us to leave. And, and the World Trade had already hit. Yes, the World right. Trade had already hit, both, both. And then we're hearing about this. And um, um, so then at this point, I actually call that guy who was trying to get a job with, believe it or not, it was with BET. They okay. started a nightly news program. And he says, come in. He Actually, he called me and he said, how soon can you get here? Wow. What? So I had was this cell phones beepers? What were you no. using back then? Um, it, it was a flip phone. Okay. So no iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, around so cell he phones. calls, and um, I try to get out there, and then I. This is the BET in New York. BET in DC. Okay. I'm in Washington DC. So I go there and end up working there for four months. Um, what what did they hire so you for? Freelance, so it wasn't okay. a full job, um, but it was going to cover, you know, there was a whole anthrax scare after that. Stuff was being mailed mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C., in the area. So they sent me to be a field producer, which, let me tell you, no other network would take a girl out of college and say, here, you could, we'll hire you to be a field producer. It was a great opportunity. So um, Why did they do that? They, they knew that I had worked in journalism, and I think, you know, a lot of people at that time who were brought on to do BET News were doing music videos and had worked in the music world, but not necessarily journalism. Um, and so I was working with their correspondents, who were news correspondents, and um, going out to cover whatever press conferences they had. You know, this is after 9-11. You're still trying to figure out what's going on, who's behind this, what's the deal. So um, that's how it all sort of started for me. Wow. So that was your first job. And yeah. to the listeners, you're tuned into the Butter Chicken Podcast. Rena Ninen is here. She's telling us her story. She's telling us her come-up story. She's telling us about how she got to where she is now. But very, very importantly, to get that first job in your field at BET, that itself was a was a it was a mission to get it. You had to chase someone to to you had to chase someone down. It wasn't so easy to just send in your resume. And I think uh, if you're listening, know that whatever field you're in, whatever space you're in, whatever you do, if you think sending an email, sending a resume, or sending a text message one time is going to land you that opportunity. Think again, my friends. <laughs> well said. You got to hustle. Yeah. So and the hustle never really ends. Do you feel like the hustle ends? Like no matter where you are right now? Hustle ends? <laughs> 24 hours. We're just starting our day today. <laughs> yeah, the, hu- the hustle don't stop. It's like, it's like yeah. we're on the go all the time. And some people are built like that. They're programmed like that. In your space and what you do, I believe you're probably programmed like that at this point. Mm. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, do you ever stop hustling? No, no. I think <laughs> you're constantly thinking about what else, what side hustles can you find too, yeah. right? Wow. Constantly. Maybe you could join us as a host <laughs> once a month. I'd love to. <laughs> so sick. I want to know, like, that would be crazy. What was your first like uh, experience, like public speaking, ah. in that field uh, as a journalist? A yeah, because you're a field producer first, right? So you're behind yeah. the scenes. Oh, you mean what was my first on-air job? Yeah, or, or like, or what was that? What was like in your mind at that moment? Were you nervous? Because just thinking about my first time, I, I spoke in front of a large crowd. It was actually a test by my my lovely co-host over here, Sharad. He kind of just threw me out there, and I was I was extremely nervous, and I didn't want to do it. I was very hesitant. Um, but I just, I, I did it. And after that, I never looked back and it, I you never felt had better. Any, felt I felt better. I have no more, I have no more yeah. stage fright or anything like that. He cried yeah. by the way. I did not cry. <laughs> he cried. Right? And he told me this was not in his pay rate to do this. <laughs> Crying is okay. <laughs> Crying is okay. But I did definitely did not cry that day. I've cried another time. Set the record straight. Yeah. Yes. So what was it the first time? I guess you were in public or on camera live. You know what? I actually, um, I ended up 
long story short, later working for Fox News Channel as a producer. And um, there was a So this is all before you've even got behind the camera? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. Um, you gotta pay so your dues. You gotta pay your dues, mm-hmm. yeah. So I end up working like very, very bottom of the totem pole for Fox News in D.C. And um, uh, long story short, I beg them and beg them and beg them. This is like two years after um, 9-11, after the inva- U.S. invasion of, of in, in 2003. So it's like 2005 now, right? And uh, I beg them to send me to Iraq because I want to cover the war there that I feel nobody is paying attention now because we've launched the U.S. invasion. We've been in there two years. It's like wallpaper. Nobody wants to hear about this. Mm-hmm. And um, finally they send me. It's a Saddam Hussein trial. And they say, listen, we're going to send you we pretty much just need a warm body. You're going to be a reporter there, but when you come back in six weeks, you will still be a producer for Fox News. We're not like, like just mm-hmm. get that out of your head. I'm like, great. I'd love the opportunity. I'll take it. Let's go. The Hold first on. Day we Hold arrived. on. I know. Yeah, this is. <laughs> they send you to a place where you could potentially die. Yeah. And you say, all right, Let's this go. is an opportunity. Yeah. How soon? S- so for those of you who don't want to like. Go from Queens to Manhattan for a job. <laughs> like, yo, this girl went went on multiple flights. You definitely did. They fly you direct. Um, well, you have to stop in Amman to get your okay. visa okay. and like an AIDS test. Actually, okay. they, like some of these countries want you to have like all these tests done. So okay. you have to like stay in Amman for like forty eight hours. And you're so. like young twenties. Oh my gosh, I've never been in a war zone in my life. Had you 25. ever been out of the country yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we would go to India. My, my right. dad would, would travel for business and take us, you know. Um, but, yeah, never to a war zone. Wow. So you take that opportunity. Yeah. And the opportunities in a war zone. Yeah. In a place that is far from vacation. Far from vacation. And to your point about progressive parents, they were supportive. That's yeah. amazing. They were supportive. They didn't think I was crazy. Were they over the moon about the idea? No. But I think they knew that I had been working towards this. And wow. You got to meet your parents. Yeah, that's Huge. We they would love to come on butter chicken. <laughs> <laughs> but they would probably expect some butter chicken at the end. Everyone so. does. Everyone does. <laughs> it's a misconception it's about front. our show. <laughs> okay. Might have to change that. Might have to get sponsored <laughs> by a good butter chicken place. Sometimes they deliver once in a while. <laughs> wow. That's, All right. that's so, huge. So, so tell us. So you land in Iraq 20-something so years old. we land in Iraq, and we had private security, which are... Um, British special forces, the retired special forces. So these guys really know what they're doing. They've been multiple war zones all over. They come and pick you up, and they're using these walkie-talkies, and they're getting you through around like this maze and saying, you know, we're hearing that there's an attack and da-da-da. So you go a different route. You know, it's like you've got ways telling you where the traffic accidents are, Mm -hmm. but this is like their own verbal communication telling you where the improvised explosive devices are going off to get you back home to the hotel which then you're pretty much in lockdown you're pretty much stuck there for six weeks and you don't leave so um within 24 hours we were there our hotel was car bombed multiple times in 10 minutes by al-qaeda um this is where the 101st we were in this hotel it's called the palestine hotel and across the street was a sheraton um, I would have stayed at the Sheraton. <laughs> but it's Just a bombed out Sheraton that's no longer a Sheraton. <laughs> okay. and you don't get the points. Uh, something you about Palestine Hotel <laughs> just doesn't work for me. No, no SPG rewards. <laughs> no SPG rewards. Because trust me, people have tried. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. So you're so, staying in the so Palestine the Hotel. was where the 101st Airborne had actually sort of created a makeshift base. And the perimeter around these two hotels, they had put up a, a wall, a concrete wall. In fact, I think two concrete walls um, 
so long story short, the reason why Al-Qaeda wasn't able to completely bring down our hotel was the 101st Airborne had smartly put around a concrete barrier around the hotel compound. So when they came in with that first bomb, car bomb, the guy detonated, blew himself up. It didn't penetrate through that first bomb. So then the next guy comes, and it penetrates a little bit further. And then the third bomb comes, and then he makes it through. And so he should have been able to get right through the into our hotel. But what happened was they put chicken wire. Chicken wire got caught up in the in that rotor of the engine. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't go, and so the guy just detonates. And so a series of these things that the U.S. military had kind of, in some ways, figured out saved our lives because they knew what the threats were. Even chicken wire. I mean, who, who thinks of chicken wire to put down? In a, but it, it really helped, and that's a huge part of the reason why, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, my hotel room where I was, the entire wall was missing for like three weeks because they had put out a plastic tarp because th- the blast is that powerful that it's able to take down walls, but the, the structure was pretty, m- you know, we were standing in, in enough to where we could continue still living in the place. At any point in time while you're there, do you say to yourself, I might not make it home? Yeah. I think, look, if you've never been in a, in a bombing situation, like, your instincts kick in. And the first bomb, like, you know something's wrong. Because you hear bombs, by the way, in Baghdad going off all the time. But they're far off to the distance. like hearing fireworks in the mm-hmm. distance. This was much closer. So instantly, you know, like, this is an immediate threat. This and is real now. This is real. And are you able to contact your friends and family back home, or is that... No, at this point, it's survival. Like, you need to get to a huddled area where it's windowless, where um, security corrals you. And this, for us, it was the hallway. We were in the hallway, all of us. Um, what is your What is your job at this point? What are you doing? Like, are you... Surviving. Are you re- surviving. I mean, you're just not. But within three to five minutes, I would say, once security had assessed the situation and we were okay, like we could stay, that it was over. Like somehow they knew. Um, If it was just me by myself, I would think there's more coming and be freaked out and paranoid, but the guy's like, this is it. Like this is how it works here. They've run, I know, you're making like a face like what is, (laughs) like, what do you mean this is how it works? Right. But these security guys that we paid millions for um, really knew. Um, And so then we went to air and we started um, broadcasting. We spoke a little bit about adversity earlier. Yeah, I, I think mean, I uh, guess, having know. a party that <laughs> didn't do so well that I threw wasn't didn't seem so hey, bad. Eighty thousand is a lot of money uh, to be. Jeez, uh, your life is a little more valuable. <laughs> <laughs> I give it to you. You did. You definitely went through some some tough times. Wow. So you so you started your reporting like really reporting career behind the camera, overseas. Yeah, really in a I war. I would say Baghdad was where it started. Yeah. Okay, and how long are you there? And when you get home, is it factual that Fox says? Thank you. You know, it's funny. Um, so we go on air with it. And this is sort of the first time journalists have been attacked, which is a big deal. Like that was just not a, a tactic they used before. So everybody had paid attention and everybody was watching. And it was like a, a very big deal. Um, and I would say then, you know, the CEO and chairman of Fox News at the time, Roger Ailes, um, saw and he hired me. Um, wow. Not that day, but it was clear to me that they were interested, and and he asked, you know, for me to come as soon as I landed, um, you know, back from New York to talk, and they wanted to offer me a job, and um, so, yeah. It, it, but it, I think it's it's preparation. Like on some level, I really wanted to come out to Baghdad, so maybe knowing the risks and preparing and learning the story, and 
um, what was happening really helped me, I think, in that situation prepare for dealing with the danger and mm. then being able to go on air and report. Huge. How long do you spend at Fox? Good question. So I, 2005, I was there for, oh, about seven, seven years. Wow, so it's a long time. It was a long stretch. Especially in journalism, I see a lot of people bounce around. Yeah, So you're pretty loyal to to Fox. You know, I will say, this is one thing, and my father told me this when I left Fox to go to ABC. He goes, you know, a lot of people are going to really tear you apart for working at Fox News for right wing, but never forget, they really invested in you. They paid you well, and they took care of you when you went to dangerous situations, which is millions of dollars we're talking about, security in a war zone, millions and millions. And I really give Fox News credit for that, for always looking out, never scrimping when it, if we needed. You know, at one point they wanted to send me in for an embed with the U.S. military in Iraq. And I refused to go because the flak jacket I had was a large and it wouldn't have covered. And I'm like, I'm not going. And they overnighted, found, you know, in our Jerusalem bureau, got the flak jacket, the right one to me, didn't put pressure on me to go, even though it was, you know, an important story that needed, was time sensitive. Um, so I really give them credit for doing the right thing. And not all companies do the right thing, um, especially when they're making a lot of money. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's uh, some positive information about Fox that I we know, never knew I about. I know. There's yeah. a whole thing in Roger Ailes and da-da-da. <laughs> but, you know, it. I, I really look on it with, with such um, – I'm very grateful. Yeah, and some, some definitely some gratitude there. And then yeah. you go on to ABC. Yes. So I end up spending five years in Jerusalem for Fox News right. in, in the Middle East. Wow. Uh, covering the Arab Spring and Al-Qaeda and the Maghreb and everything. And then ABC offers me an opportunity to work um, to cover the White House on the weekend, Barack Obama's White House. While you're, when While you come back from wh- Jerusalem? Um, yes. It's over now. You know, I decided to jump ship and go to ABC. And so they moved me to D.C. Mm. Okay. And, and you were in New York at the time? I was in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem right from Jerusalem to New yep. York. I, I mean, to D.C. To D.C., yeah. And uh, so I covered his administration uh, and also Secretary of State Hillary Clinton as well. When you say you covered, what does that mean? Because, you know, I, I read in something you sent me that you were covering Obama. What, what does that mean exactly? So we travel with him. You know, I traveled with him to Asia and to Cartagena, Colombia, um, and you travel and you cover his movements wherever wherever he goes. And for, it was a lot of foreign trips for me. Um, and then on the weekends, it's whatever news breaks. So you probably, you were there for an amazing time in our country's history. Yeah. I mean, I mean. Very different from, from now. The White House, covering the White House is totally different, I to- would say. To- totally different. But you were you were there now in a time where it's like, the entire country is sort of rejuvenated and feeling really good about the state of political affairs is... You know, it's interesting, because I think to some people it might be rejuvenation, but there was still... And uh, partially because, you know, followers and people on Facebook and Twitter are those Fox News people. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they constantly... On one level, they feel like, oh my gosh, she's one of us. She's a Fox News person. But on the other side, um, I also... So I see what they're saying, and they will post comments to keep you in check about how a certain sector of the community feels. So while one community might be enamored by Barack Obama, another one is just like, what? How did this guy get into the White House? Like, what? Um, And and I think that's a real feeling. 
And I think it does help being a journalist, even to this day. I still hear from those Fox News viewers about their opinion. And I think it puts you in check to remind you, you might not feel this way about President Trump, but there are a significant sector, a sector significant enough to get him into office. Absolutely. That voted him in. Absolutely. And that like that he shoots from the hip, that he says what's on his mind, that he doesn't have a filter. And that's the same thing that the other side disdains. So you saw both angles and that kind of, I mean, I guess you got to remove yourself from your own position and stance, right? Because you're a journalist. Yeah. And, um, but kind of hearing it from both perspectives definitely was probably an interesting experience yeah. for you. No, to this day. And I think it's good to put them in check because it's not my opinion that you come for when I'm giving the news. Like mm-hmm. More and more we're finding, especially in a younger age demo, I work now for CBS News and we have um, – streaming channel which i work on tuesday to saturday in the afternoon cbsn cbsn mm-hmm. right. so you download the cbs news app and we give you push notifications so when anything happens in the world if you want to watch it live as it's happening you click on it no matter what time of day and you get it so i do the afternoons from one to juicy five. Yeah. are you going to download the cbs news app now that you know you can see rena giving us the information i am Absolutely. Everyone go download it right now. CBSN app. We're going to check the numbers after this podcast. <laughs> okay. You have you have a- access to the stats? Of course we do. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So CBS News app. Got to download yes. that. Number one. That's where you can catch Rena. Absolutely. And where else are you? And Saturday nights on television, I do the CBS. It's called the Weekend News at 6.30 p.m. I love that. You do? Do you watch? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. And Well, I, I DVR because I'm always out on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. But what I love is the fact that you're there because I know you. And it's a little different when we get to turn on TV and we get to tell, hey, mom, that's my Uh, friend. I've (laughs) done stuff with her. Yeah, It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, right? Isn't that cool? I I mean, I'm always like floored when I see people that I know on TV or in media just hearing their voice on a podcast or radio or anything like that. It's like, I I know that person. Even (laughs) what you guys do. You know, I was just thinking, I wish I knew you nine years ago when I got married because I think about the cheesy DJ that I had DJing my. Yeah, we don't do cheese. (laughs) We do butter chicken. The playlist that he suggested was like. 1980s. Oof. Yeah. We won't call him out. I'm sure he, he meant well. He was a nice guy. I, <laughs> was I it in Tampa? It was in Tampa. It was That's in Tampa. the first problem. <laughs> hey! There's no good Indian hometown. DJs outside Don't of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love Tampa. I DJ yeah. Tampa Fest for years. Oh, yes. Tampa Fest yeah. is huge. Yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of big weddings in Tampa. Wow. There's everything There's in Tampa. Tampa, but Tampa Fest was incredible that yeah. we used to do. Ebor, was Ebor, was that? Ebor City. Ebor yeah, City, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I think yeah. Justin Timberlake might have had a club on that street that we used to DJ at. Oh, does he still have a club? This is years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not to go off on a tangent, but I'm going to go off on a tangent for a little bit. You've been in media. You work at Fox. You work at ABC. You work at CBS. You're a woman, and you're brown. Mm. Have you f- ever faced any discrimination based on your skin color, based on your name, based on your beliefs? Have you ever felt that from coworkers, people in position of power, people you were interviewing, or has it been smooth sailing specifically for you? That's a great question. You know, I think a lot of it, looking back now, has to be my parents' influence. Um, you know, they, they talked about discrimination. You know, there would be doctors in our community who wouldn't get the promotion to the next level, and everybody knew, oh, it's because they're brown or, you know, they're Molly Alley or they're not in with that crowd. Um, but, you know, going to Fox, I kept pushing, and I refused to take no. They told me I didn't have the look. That mm. was the word that so many executives said. You just don't have the look for Fox News, you know. And... Um, I, 
I Did you just, take that look as like I'm not of a specific I skin took it tone as or you're not blonde and you're not pretty. Mm. And okay. that's what we want for this network. And if you've watched Fox News, blonde is their thing. Right. right? I mean, but it's never is. been told to you. Um th- never like that directly has never been told to you that you're you're brown you skinned. You you don't have the look. That was the exact word. And I don't. And the, here's the thing: the w- it was a woman who told me, who was a woman in, of authority at Fox News, and I don't think she was telling it to me maliciously. Right. She was, and and it was actually a good lesson because she wasn't like, "Oh, you're ugly. We're never going to put." She's like, "You don't have the look," which translates to you're not blonde, but also like you need to work on your look, and it's television. So like I did, I shot a bunch of clips and didn't wear makeup. Like, it's television. You've got to wear makeup. Like, mm-hmm. that look, especially at Fox News, is important. So sometimes when people give you advice or they push back and it's something you don't want to hear, find out what that grain of truth is that they're trying to tell you that you can walk away and learn from it. You know. And for me, I went back and looked at the tape. I'm like, yeah, I've got a huge zit on my <laughs> left <laughs> people don't cheek see that. there. Nobody, <laughs> who wants to see that? No Good. one's going to be paying attention to what I have to say. So, um, but I just, I refuse to take no. And I think that stays with me to this day in my career. Like, if there's something I really strongly believe in, you got to pursue it. But you have to do the footwork, and that's not always easy. That's what we call bars here on the Butter Chicken Podcast. We call that bars. Bars. Tell me more. Bars. Bars is a rap terminology. (laughs) Bars is basically when a rapper says something that's very impactful, that sounds really good, that has meaning. Give me an example of a rapper who has a good bar. Eminem. Has bars for days. Jay Z. Give me what? I'm not. I'm not rapping on my show. I'm a a, a host. I'm a host. But we'll we'll do that. We'll do some freestyle afterwards. We'll get you (laughs) freestyle. But but bars is when someone says something that's very impactful and very meaningful. So can you use that in a sentence? Because I don't want to misuse it. You don't. That's the sentence. Rena just came on our show and dropped some bars. bars. Drop some bars. You drop gems on them. So like, could I say? We're wrapping up at the White House press conference today, and President Trump just dropped some bars. Yeah, but yeah. President Trump don't drop no bars. <laughs> President Dr- Trump drops balls. <laughs> he don't drop bars. <laughs> Barack had bars for days. <laughs> yeah, Barack definitely had bars. That's a fact. All day. I would. I love listening to I Barack. I think Trump's I, bars are, uh, we're, we're doing the best we can right now. So it's <laughs> funny. One thing we've told our all yeah. of our guests uh-huh. is that yo, we don't talk politics on okay. this show. Yeah. Okay. However, you're here. <laughs> we're at the moment, we're having some fun. Now you're at CBS. You have this illustrious career. Uh, by no means are you stopping. I think I still think you're on your way to bigger and greater successes. Is that so much? You know, is, really does, does. is that right though? Because I don't see you stopping here. I see you doing more cool things. I hope so. But you know, sometimes it's easy to be no matter what level you are in your career it's easy to be discouraged you know when you keep knocking and knocking you feel like opportunity isn't there right it Mm -hmm. it is very easy to be discouraged but um i think if that passion is there and you really believe in it that's that's being ignited for a reason and you shouldn't ignore it there's one thing i want to ask you you've interviewed a great amount of significant people people Mm -hmm. who have done some major things in this world Tell us or tell the listeners about a couple of the people that you've interviewed that were just mind-blowing interviews, people who you've got to interview that you maybe was a fan of or maybe had some really interesting questions or knew of but never thought you'd have that opportunity to interview mm-hmm. them. Has, is there anyone that sticks out in your mind? You know, recently I interviewed a young lady, a young girl, 
she's like seven years old. She's a Syrian refugee, and she wrote a book called Dear World. And I don't know if you, she had a Twitter account, and she lived in Aleppo, and she would tweet every day, like all the stuff that's happening in Aleppo. So she had all these followers, because people would wonder, who's this girl that's tweeting? Ended up being her mom, who mm-hmm. was sending it out with her. But you could see how bombing and life in Syria was impacting children. And she came out on a book tour called Dear, and her book is called Dear World. I highly recommend it. It's great. Um, And that was a hard interview for me because I think interviewing kids who are facing adversity as a mom of a seven and six year old gets me every time. I I can do, I can interview the terrorists. (laughs) I have walked down, um, tunnels that have been bombed by Israelis where they smuggle in goods and weapons, no problem. But a kid who is in a war-torn region, that for some reason always weighs on my consciousness. And I don't, I, I can't explain it because it's not like I personally experienced it or my family has personally experienced mm-hmm. it. But that's a hard one. That was a really hard one to get through um, because she was so wise. Talk about dropping bars, this girl. <laughs> she dropped some bars? Drop bars. Can we find that interview on YouTube? Yes. Yeah. We'll look for it. Yeah. We'll look for it. Maybe you send us some links after, and we'll put yeah. it on our on our butter chicken that. page as well. I'd love you that. you oh. mentioned you have um, some children. Yeah. Um, and it seems as if you're extremely ambitious and you're a go getter. How do you balance being mommy and also being Rena at work? Like, where's how does that work? You know, I think about our moms, right, who came to this country, didn't have necessarily a lot of support, their own parents weren't here, and. So I just feel like I don't complain. I don't think about it. I just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you're going to miss some school events or whatnot, but it's amazing how resilient they are and how they get it. And I think the one thing about raising kids is as long as they know they're loved Mm -hmm. and they've got people who love them, they can do anything. Bars. They can do anything. More bars. I love this. I love this bars thing. I'm going to try and drop that terminology when we're live streaming the news somehow. I'm going to figure out a way, and then I'm going to tweet at you. Are you guys on Twitter? Yeah. We are. Yeah, yeah but we're heavy on the, you, you know we're heavy on the gram. We like the gram. Instagram. Hi, the gram. I know you do. <laughs> I like the gram. I like the gram. I like okay. story. I like the pictures and like okay. that whole, that well, whole you thing. You have a great, you have a great Instagram. We just have some fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Jack and Kate. Yeah. Very good. Your babies. Yeah. Good, good Indian names, right? I mean, good Malayali names. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Malayali named Jack or Kate, right? <laughs> And your husband is Kevin? Kevin, yeah. Is Kevin supportive of what you do? Hugely supportive. In fact, we met when we were in Jerusalem. He, um, oh, yeah. Okay, Fox. <laughs> okay. He Did he work for Fox? He was at the time. Newsweek. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um, and we met in, in Jerusalem, yeah. Wow. Well, we found love like Rihanna. Yeah. In, uh, what is it? In an unlikely place? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Something like that. That's a bar. That's a bar. That's a bar. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you guys met there and immediately hit it off and came back to America and said, this is it? We're we, we met there and um, I thought he would be a really good friend and he thought I would be something more. And um, we became, yeah. So then fast forward like 18 months, two years later, we end up getting married. Now, yeah. Kevin's not Malayali. Kevin is not Malayali. And I have to say, I always thought I would end up with a Malayali guy. Interesting. So this is a yeah. little twist on Butter Chicken yeah. Podcast, yeah. talking about marriage. Totally. There you go. Is oh, that do you guys not talk marriage? No, Wait, no which is never hardly comes up, but yeah. I mean, it, it does yeah. here and there. D- is it was it like something as a little girl growing up? You had this vision in your mind of of marrying a Malayali boy, or yeah, I just you know what I I I, I Malayali boys are good looking, right? <laughs> right? No, but you know what I just always I yeah. So that kind of surprised. I'm surprised. Now, 
gauging from your parents' progressive outlook on life, yeah. the coolness of them. I don't think they had any pushback when you brought home a non-Morelli wow, guy. That's impressive. No, I, I think, you know, they were happy I wasn't in a war zone anymore. And as my, my brother Tony said in, in our, um, as my brother Tony said in my, um, at Wedding Toast, he goes, we thought she would be the girl to find Osama bin Laden. We never thought she would get married at this point. So, um, they were thrilled and you know it's really incredible his parents his dad's italian his mom is irish and they are just like having indian parents mm-hmm. you know just as loving family is everything that's all they care about a huge italian side we have family reunions um so it was sort of amazing to see you think it's just an indian thing that, you know the family and the sense of community just like chinese people probably think it's it's a chinese thing and puerto ricans think it's a puerto rican thing but you just realize puerto ricans are it. amazing <laughs> <laughs> i love puerto ricans <laughs> but you know family it, it, it's remarkable when you have somebody who gets that and their parents are just so this is all they care about is being with their family and their grandkids so it's really wonderful no, so it it seems like you have like you got it pretty figured out. You got it pretty balanced out. No, because you know people say <laughs> once you f- have it all figured out, you really don't. Yeah. Especially with parenting. Yeah. So you got this busy career in journalism. Got the family. What do you do for fun? Like, what do you do for your own self? And do you have personal you time at all? Yes. You know what I just recently took up a year ago? Tennis. Okay. Mm. Respect it. Because I was never. My parents never encouraged me to play a sport. And so I played soccer in high school, and you know I sat on left bench and ate the oranges that the moms packed <laughs> for most of it. You know, okay. a- athletics wasn't my thing, but I really would love to play Serena one day. So now you play tennis, uh, like twice a week. Yeah. Speak it into existence. Interview her, Interview. and then tell her you're going to play her. All and right. she's competitive. So, so yeah, you said just speak it, like say I am going to play Serena Williams. But you start it like what I do with work stuff, and yeah. when I want, like uh, we were like, yo, we're gonna get Rena Nine on the show. Remember, I told you like yep. six months ago, I was like, we're gonna get Rena on the show, and we just spoke it into existence, and then we got you on the show. Okay. Similarly, my advice is if you want to play Serena Wi- Serena Williams, what you're gonna do, or maybe, is possibly speak it into existence, okay. but because you know how to do an amazing interview interviewer first and then inter- in the interviewer in the interview room challenge her and she's not going to say no I love this tactic <laughs> just bring your racket it's called chess just bring the racket to and your, the ba- your, your gym bag ready to go I love it I love it <laughs> it's called chess so in Butter Chicken mm. in our Butter Chicken podcast what we try to always do a major initiative that we have is to really inspire youth mm. right We the people we bring on including yourself are real success stories, people that are doing amazing things in culture and society, people that are bringing it on every level. And the youth, South Asian, non-South Asian, it doesn't matter, um, are really hitting us up on the DM, on the email. It's awesome. And they're like, yo, we didn't even know this person existed. Mm. I'm so fascinated by the fact that you know, this rapper you brought on has this song in mainstream media or this writer you brought on wrote that many books or that person in tech did all these cool things. Rena Ninen is here. She's a reporter. She's worked for some of the biggest media outlets in the world. That is so impressive. We're extremely proud of that. And we want to really encourage the youth, girls, guys, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Whoever you are, if you want to get into this space, can you give the youth some bars mm. some advice wow. on what they can do to follow their passion follow their dreams and f- really follow in your footsteps and and get into this world 
bars under pressure. This is, <laughs> wow. You know, the one thing I wish someone had told me when I started is don't be upset with disappointment. Disappointment is pushing you towards where you need to be. That's how I feel. Um, so many times you're pushing your career and you don't get there, you don't get there. It's not working out and you get disappointed or discouraged or you're ready for the next thing. And I just feel like it's almost like the universe telling you there's something out there for you. Pay attention. You're ready to move on. Whether it's a job that you just know you're ready to, to do the next thing. That sometimes being disappointed in life by where you're at is helping you get to where you're meant to be next. So sometimes take disappointment or unhappiness in a moment, whether it's work or life, and figure out where it is you're meant to be. And, and don't take no for an answer. Push to get there. Is that a good bar? That's beyond bars. Is it beyond bars? It's beyond it's bars. bars. Give you bars on that. Bars and beyond. It's not bars. Yeah. Do I need and to do another bar? Super bars. That's super bars. Super bars. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That's what we call lit. Lit. <laughs> <laughs> I thought lit was when you're drunk. Could be. That too. That could, could be. be. But now lit is so interchangeable, like dope. Dope. And poppin' and mm-hmm. all these words that we we tend to use. Um, we're s- we're similar in age, but I I tend to, you know, hang out with the youth a little bit and yeah, I like I like me. I like. And, like and your sneakers. I also felt a little pressure, I have to say, about your sneakers because I know your footwear is really... Um, Just a lifestyle. My daughter, I had actually <laughs> talked to my daughter, six-year-old daughter, about this. I was a little bit worried. And when I'm anxious about things, I like to talk to them so they know sometimes mommy gets anxious. Mm-hmm. And she said that there were sparkly pink shoes that I should... Heels that I should wear today. Hell but no. I forgot <laughs> them. <laughs> no, you're good. Right where you are, <laughs> you're good. You're perfect. Um, Rena, we thank you so much for coming on to our show. Thank you. Thank you, guys, and for what you're doing, because this is so important, and I am a huge fan. Thank you. Huge fan. Um, where can they find you? Where can our listeners find you? You um, can download the CBS News app. Well, um, you're plugging that. You're yeah. partnering that? <laughs> download the app. I go with you wherever you go, <laughs> in every country. I have live-streamed it from Mumbai and watched the Comey testimony, um, and I'm on from 1 to 5, Tuesday to Saturdays, and uh, Instagram. What's your IG? Uh at Rena Ninen for Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Are you on Facebook as and well? Facebook at Rena Ninen. Okay. Yeah. Friends, family, listeners of the Butter Chicken Podcast, you were just tuned in with the one and only Rena Ninen. Amazing soul, amazing personality. Tons of bars. Going really far, going far in her career, and she's opening the door for a lot of people from our community to follow in her footsteps and do even greater things. Uh, Rena, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. This is the Butter Chicken Podcast. It's your boy, DJ Sherrod. And DJ Juicy. Juicy. What's up? Where can they find us? Find us at the main hub Instagram, at Butter Chicken Podcast, and that'll direct you everywhere else. And we're on all podcasting platforms, and we're even on Hub Hopper now. Which what is, is Hub Hopper, Juicy? It's, uh, it's a very big podcasting platform, and they're based out of India, so... Uh, we have a bunch of listeners and fans out there too. So, so our brothers and sisters in India, Hub Hopper, you can find us on every podcasting platform possible. This is Butter Chicken Podcast. We hope you had a good time with us. We sure as hell had a good time with you. We'll see you next week on the Butter Chicken Podcast. Chia. Thank you.